0: The topic um, that we're going to cover today is called Night and Day. Um, And I wrote in the email, uh, you know, the kind of the email teaser for this week's class, that from the beginning, all the way in the beginning of creation, you already have a duality. Right? The first thing we encounter when you open up the Torah and you read the beginning of the book of Beresha, the book of Genesis, so the first thing you find is, good morning, Rob, is you find that the Torah says that, you know, in the beginning, the world was desolate, it was void, there was darkness, and then God says, let there be light, and then it says, God separates, good morning, good morning, God separates between light and darkness, right? It was, it was evening, and it was morning, one day. And immediately at the beginning, we find that there's duality. There's night, and there's day, there's dark, and there's light, and we have these two, these two separate realities. In other words, to use uh, to use a phrase, you know, to use perhaps a um, you know a modern terminology, the world is drawn in a very binary fashion. You have dark, light, right, night and day. And the truth is, in all of our lives, we also have the, this duality. We have the night moments of our life and the day moments of our life. What are the night moments? Those moments in which we have lack of clarity, in which we are anxious, where we experience fear, where we experience self doubt. The dark moments of the night moments of our life, are where things are a little bit things are a little bit tricky and not so smooth. What are the day moments? The day moments are when there's clarity. Right, light is synonymous with clarity. There's clarity. There's um, positivity there is joy there is a sense of purpose a sense of meaning a sense of direction i know where i'm going and i'm confident to get there that's the those are the day moments of our lives i want to relate this and and we're going to study um some pretty amazing text inside soon i want to relate this to this week's torah portion so this week's parasha the one that we're starting today i starting to think about and and study in preparation. You know, this week we're living with this parasha, the Torah portion this week, is Lech Lecha, which is God's commandment to Abraham, to Avram, to go. He was 75 years old, and God says, you had a good 75 years, and now it's time to start moving. (laughs) Can you imagine? 75, and now it's time to begin a new endeavor? It's crazy. This is what Hashem says. God says to Avram, Lech Lecha. And when you go, I'm going to make you great. He says, "Go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you great. I'll make your name great. You'll be popular. You'll be famous. Everyone, will be, will be, the, the the peoples of the world will be blessed through you, and it's going to be amazing." So that's what God tells Abraham, and of course his wife Sarah, Avram and Sarah. What happens? So they go. They leave home. They leave their. They leave their land, and they start moving. And of course, they are led to the promised land. They're led to the land of that will later become the land of Israel, known as the land of Canaan. Good morning, good morning. And what happens? The moment the Torah says, the moment, the moment uh, they arrive in the land of Israel or the land of Canaan, what happens? Somebody help me out here. Famine. There's a famine in the earth. Great. Is Canaan part of Israel now? Is it part of Israel? Yeah, is it? It is Israel. In other words, Israel is Canaan. Clark Kent and Superman. It is the same, is the same <laughs> demographics. Hmm. That's a very good question. I don't know what the original borders. That's a very good question. I don't know what the original borders of Canaan. It's roughly no, that what area. Asking, because we trace back to Canaan, and that's justification for us. Being in charge of Israel,
1: yeah. So, so it's, what I'm
0: saying is, was Canaan a different land? No, 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 a part no, of it? No, 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 no. Canaan was the land that we call today Israel. What were the exact borders? As did are there subtle changes? I would imagine oh, yeah, it's yeah, I'm sure. yeah. There's, but it's roughly the same area. But here's the deal: what happens? So again, God says to Abraham and Sarah. God says to Abraham and Sarah, was "Go." It a part of Israel? There, it yeah, it was? I believe so. Yeah, it was to the yeah. Uh, it went all the way. <laughs> but somebody heard this week said that the Philistines were always in Gaza because they were fishermen or something like that. And it was a seaport time. This is this is outside of my pay grade. Okay. I know the parasha. Here's what the parasha says. This is my story. I'm going to stick to it. What happened to the parasha? Avram and Sarah, Abram and Sarah, they arrive in, in Israel. And remember, this was a product of sacrifice. It's hard to leave your home. It's hard to leave your family. It's hard to pick up and move, especially when you don't know the destination. That takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of trust. And then you move, and then what happens? There's no food. Which means that you put your trust in this invisible being, God, right? You put your trust in this higher power that you believe in with every fiber of your being. You put your trust, and you tell yourself, presumably, this is what God says, this is what God wants, Right. This is going to work out. This is going to be good. And then you arrive there and it's terrible. And now the question is, what do you do? Because I know what a lot of people would do and it's normal and this is not a criticism. What a lot of people, I don't know if it's most or a few or whatever. I don't know the numbers or the statistics, but I know what a lot of people would do. A lot of people would say, thank you very much. Clearly this, clearly this, clearly this doesn't work. Clearly, I made a mistake, or you made a mistake, or we all made a mistake, but clearly, I'm out. Like, I trusted, and why did I trust? Because you told me it was going to be good. So if it's not good, trust broken, see you later. You told me it's going to be amazing. You said, leave your land, leave your birthplace, leave your My father's home, go to the... Um, Aram, Naraim. Uh, uh, modern map, I'm not sure exactly where. Ancient Mesopotamia. well, he, he had been already in Haran, right. He was born in, you know, in Orkastim, in whatever. And then in right. He was in Orkastim. Right. Not I don't know. I'm sure there are maps out there that have it. <laughs> so anyway, here's the point. He was told to leave. And he was told that if you leave, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you great. I will make your name great. If, what kind of car? Yeah, yeah I was into? literally going to say that. Yeah, what kind of car? If, I, want car. I want details. The house, everything. <laughs> <laughs> does it come with a wife? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back, back, to the, uh, back to the story. So what happens? Is that, um, is that Hashem is promising Avram and Sarah that it's going to be amazing for them if they have trust and faith? Trust in me. Go to the land that I will show you. Right? I'm not going to tell you more. It's like it's like you know I'm, I'm I'm whisking you away. Trust me, and then you trust, and then the whole thing blows up. How many people or how many of us would say it was nice while it lasted? It was a good experiment. It was great knowing you. I think I'm going to try my own way this time. I think I'll try my own thing. Nope. Avram and Sarah, they don't lose their trust. They make a plan. There's no food here. We'll go down to Egypt. We'll get some food. Great. And then what happens? Avram's, Avram's wife is abducted. Great. So now his wife is kidnapped. Fantastic. Things are going very well for Avram, right? He trusted God, right? He left, he left everything behind. Now there was no food. He finally found food. Now he has no wife. His wife is abducted. Does he lose faith or trust? No, nope. he remains steadfast. Okay, his wife is returned. They're given some. Uh, they're given a payout. They leave. They go back to the land of Canaan, which will become the land of Israel. The trust that did he have? He said, "This is my sister." How much trust in God did he build that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. That there's a, right. There's a lot of discussion about that. Why did he do that? Was he putting her in harm's way? How could he have done that? Why didn't he just trust, like you're saying, and and just not make a plan? Okay, good, good, good question. I think you could also ask that on why did he go to Egypt when there was no food in Canaan? If you really trust, he could have just stayed put and said, God will provide for me. It seems like, even though he trusted, he recognized that he still had to make a plan. But it's not that he said, God, I'm checking out. This relationship is over. Like You didn't uphold your end of the deal. I'm out. He didn't say that. So anyway, so then then they return back to Canaan, the land of, uh, later become known as the land of Israel. And what happens then is a world war breaks out. The war, all of this is in this week's Torah portion, very action-packed. The war between the four kings and the five kings, and you have different sides, and then, Avram's nephew Lot is, is captured, is taken, a prisoner of war. And then he enters the fray to try to, to try to rescue. It's crazy to try to rescue his nephew. And by the way, who's the one that tells Avram, Abraham, that his nephew was kidnapped or was taken prisoner of war? Og, the giant. And according to the commentaries, why did Og tell him about his nephew? Because he wanted Avram to go into the war, to get involved in the battle, and get killed. Why? Because he had his eyes on Sarah, on Sarah, on, on Abram's wife. It's very complicated. But how old was she then? It's very complicated. I don't how know. That, I don't know the answer to that question. I need to see a picture. Yes. She must have been gorgeous. I want to see a picture. <laughs> I cannot provide those types of details. It's has your favorite, right? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I share, that's what I know. So here's the deal: if I in Iraq. okay, there you go. Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia. Miles from Baghdad. There you go. So Abraham Avinu was an Iraqi. There you go. And so are we all, as descendants. Now back to the story. At no point in this in this narrative. Do we see, and based on the commentaries, do we find that Avram and Sarah lose their faith? Now, at this point, they're childless. And at this point, God has promised them that they will be the parents. Avram will be the father of a great nation. Meanwhile, what great nation? There's no children. Um, oh, back to the story of Lot. So Lot's captured, a POW, prisoner of war. Avram g- gets involved in the fray. He goes in and, he, and he, uh, he, 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 he's, he does what he needs to do and he gets back. The hostage, which by the way is certainly relevant to our times right and 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 a lot that's going on now with our brothers and sisters so Avram goes in and he gets the hostage he gets his his nephew uh back safely and at that point you think things are are calm, but meanwhile there's more challenges brewing or there's more drama brewing Hashem says to him um by the way, all this, this, these descendants that I promised you, these descendants that I that I told you about, they're going to go through um, tremendous difficulty, tremendous trauma, tremendous pain, tremendous suffering. They're going to be slaves in a land that's not their own. This was foreshadowing the, um, the Egyptian exile. Again, this is even before Isaac is born. God is already telling Abraham that your descendants are going to go through difficulty. Who... Who at this point? Who is not checking out of this relationship? It's like God. Ever since I met you, things have been insane. Like it's been crazy. It's been crazy. Yeah. The relationship between God and Abraham. Has God demonstrated anything that would warn Abraham? Try to get some Good question. Good question. It's like what has God done? What has God done for Abraham? What's in it for him? What it seems like is that Abraham. He recognized what was true. He recognized the truth. And he was so dedicated to truth and recognized that if something is true, it doesn't matter how dramatic it might seem. If it's true, it's true. And he's holding on for the ride. And he held on for the ride. There's no food. His wife is abducted. His nephew is abducted. Um, He's learning that he doesn't have kids yet. He's learning that his kids are going to go through trauma. He's then told, then God says, it's like, let's try this. It's almost like a reality show, like with a secret camera, like that show, uh, that jury, what was that thing that just came out a year or two ago? Jury, uh, yeah, jury, jury duty. duty. Yeah. It's like, let's see at what type of uncomfortable you know, positions we can put this guy in and see. And see and see if, um, and see if, you know, see at what point will he break. And then God says to him, okay. Here's what's going to happen. You're 99 years old. Oh, I skipped out the whole Hagar and Ishmael drama. Okay, that's a whole drama, which, you know, whatever. Then at 99, God says, all right, now, now you need to be circumcised. Are you kidding me? Is this a joke? Where's the cameras? Like, is, are you serious? Like, after all this, oh, I forgot to tell you, there's going to be circumcision involved. And we don't have any other surgeons, so you're going to have to do it yourself. Ouch! This is like, at what point is he going to break? He doesn't break, and by the way, keeps on going. Chazal, our sages tell us, ten tests Avram was faced with. Ten tests, and the final one was finally when Yitzchak is born. I hate to fast forward to the end, and sorry for a second, but let me just wrap this this piece. And all the way at the end of the narrative, after he has his son Yitzchak, after all of the drama, he finally they're blessed with his son. Isaac, and then God says, All right, now kill him. Now sacrifice him. Give him a little time. Give him a little, a little nachas in between. <laughs> but now it's time to, 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 sac- to sacrifice him. You kidding me? After all this, after all the promises, after all everything, finally it all came. It seems like it's actually happening. And now you're telling me, Nope, take him out. And what does Avram do? Vayashchem Avraham Baboker. He woke up in the morning, he saddled up, he took his son, he took the knife, he took the rope, we're going. Of course, the angel of God tells him, after he puts his son on the altar, God didn't say to actually slaughter him, sacrifice him, God said, put him up as an offering. You put him up, take him down, you pass the test. Where does this come from? This is, this is the founder, Avram Ansar, of course. These are the founders of Judaism. Individuals who stuck with, as I said before, as I, the way I framed it before, stuck with truth even when it, it did not seem to make any sense. And, you know, I think in life, I think many of us make deals with God. I think that's a normal thing. It's a normal thing that people do. We make deals with God. We say, God, here's what I need, and here's what I'm willing to do for that. It's like I want this blessing in my life. I want this is a this is something that I want more than want. This is something that I need. But he doesn't negotiate. One second. I talk about us for a second. Don't worry. We're gonna get back to him. We're gonna give him a, a lot of screen time today. But here's how we work. We need something, we really need something. A blessing for health, a blessing for parinosa, a blessing for family, whatever, whatever blessing we need. We, we need this blessing, we want this blessing. So we make a deal. And it, it, we say to God, we say, look, this is what I want, or this is what I need, and this is what I will do. You know, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna be dedicated, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna study, I'm gonna do tzedakah, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do the good stuff, I'm gonna do good things, And this is what i want and maybe we don't draw it out like a contract but in our heads or in our hearts this is kind of how we're feeling this is what i want or this is what i need and this is what i will do here's the simple question what happens what happens when we uphold our end of our bargain and god falls through hate when that happens right (laughs) It's so annoying. (laughs) What, What do we do? What do we do then? It's easy and it's understandable at that moment for a person to say, you know what? I tried. But clearly this doesn't work or it didn't work. And all right, I'm out. See you later. There's a movie that I love. I'm sure I've mentioned it before in in, in class. There's a movie that I love that's called Ushpizin. You guys uh, know that movie? Yeah. It's a really. It's a. It's a very. I don't know how to describe it's it. It's from the '70s. No. No. Version. No. Oh. Oh. Is there? I don't know. There's an older version. I don't know if you're saying there's 70s. No. 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 It's newer, It's like from the '90s, right? Yeah. 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 Or two thousands. Two thousand. Two thousand. There you go. So it's called Ushbizen. It's a Sukkot. It's a Sukkot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. Now, actually, I got it confused with the older movie from the 70s about the woman who had to marry a brother in law. Oh, yeah, you yeah. forget yeah. what the name was, that one was. Yeah, that's been done a few times. That, that, that style you know has been done it? a few yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. The Chalitza, the Yibum, whatever, yeah. All right, so here, so Ushbizen is about. I don't. I, the truth is, I don't remember all the details, but it's about a guy who's struggling, you know, to make a living, and then somehow he pulls together some cash, and buys like a really fancy, S-rug. He spends a lot of money. His wife is not happy about the amount of money that he spent on the holiday um, gear, for lack of a better term, and like there's a lot of drama. that Then two ex-felons or people that escape prison they show up at a sukkah and there's a lot of like a few plot lines but i remember that there's one dramatic moment in that movie where he feels like he has been doing what he needs to be doing like spiritually he's been kind of checking all the boxes and still things are not working out like he bought the fancy esrog, he invested in the mitzvah He's t- trying to pray, you know, correctly, and, and and still everything around him is falling apart. And so he like runs into the forest and he begins like cry, like kind of screaming and crying, like like what do you want from me? Like I'm doing all this stuff. And then he comes to his rabbi, and his rabbi says that when it comes to divine tests, tests from God, people make a mistake. Everyone thinks that God brings a person a test, a challenge, and then the person musters, you know, hopefully the strength to overcome the challenge, and then the challenge goes away. He says, that's not what a test is. A test is when you have a challenge, and then you overcome, then you muster the strength to overcome the challenge, and then you get hit with an even bigger challenge. In other words, when you felt like, okay, here's the problem, so I'm going to, you know, summon all my energy to overcome it spiritually and practically and everything, and then I'm going to neutralize that and, 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 and succeed and and wipe it away and then what happens is you get hit with an even deeper challenge. So what, you shouldn't uh, rise to the occasion? Oh, he, says the, he said the challenge is that second challenge that hits. After you thought that you already passed the test and you get hit again with the test and you might say, well now I'm out. I'm on my third challenge, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> I am. right. I'm like, what do you want? Right, like what do you want? Like what do you want from me? Like I did it already. You're doing it again? I'm out. He says, that's that's the real challenge. The real challenge is the one that comes after you thought you passed all the tests. Like with Avram. Obviously, this is easier said than done. But this is the lesson from Avram. Is that the real challenge is the one that comes after you thought you passed the challenge. After you thought you passed the test. That's the real test. The real test is when you don't see... A linear equation between your spiritual courage and the outcome that you want the question is can you still summon the strength to do what's right or to do what you need to do even when you don't see the outcome materialize that's the story of avram that's the story of this week's parsha, and really the, the next few torah portions is, is our individuals who are tested with every fiber of their being Will you maintain, will you be strong and, and be focused and, and be you know, committed to what your commitments are, despite the fact that the equation is falling flat on the other side, despite the fact that, you know, this plus this equal should equal that. And that it's, it's just it's not equaling that. I don't see that. Where's the blessing? Where's where's the reward? I did all this. What do I get now? A, 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 a harder test, a worse time, a greater challenge. Are you kidding me? Is it a prank? Where's the payoff? I'm investing, 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 and it keeps on tanking. Whatever that is. So what's going on? That's the test. I don't actually have an answer for this. I'm just trying to illustrate the lesson that we learn from Avram and Sarah. That is the idea of of of, of staying, of remaining steadfast. Despite the challenge. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is to express a truth that we all know. And that is that in life, there are moments of day and moments of night. Moments of day are like that scene in the movie where the main character, you know, there's a soundtrack playing, a happy soundtrack playing, and it's this bright sky outside, and they're skipping and hopping, and everyone that they walk by smiles. Someone hands them flowers, a cup of coffee, a bagel. This is a Jewish movie after all. (laughs) From a (laughs) pushcart. From a (laughs) pushcart. Right? And everything works out well. And it's amazing. And all the lights are green. And everyone, all the doors open up. And everything is amazing. And by the way, in life, we do have those moments. We have those moments in which things things are working. You know, we're putting in the effort and actually doors are opening in front of us. Things are actually working out. Those are the day moments. But then there are the night moments. Those night moments are when no matter how hard we're pushing, the doors remain closed. And we think, you know, and and, and we act courageously and heroically. And the doors still remain closed. And then the question is, well, what do you want from me? Should I stop pushing or should I continue pushing? Like what, what, what should I actually do? Those moments of night are not only because there's difficulty, but because there's also confusion. The Talmud says, the Gemara says, this is not even a Kabbalistic quote. This is straight up, you know, Jewish ethics or Jewish, I don't know, psychology. It says, There is no joy like the joy of the resolution of doubt or resolution of difficulty which implies that there's no pain. If there's no greater joy than the resolution of, of difficulty, then there's no pain like the difficulty. And I think I'm mistranslating it. How do you translate "safek"? Safek. Yeah. Doubt. doubt. I'm saying difficulty. It's really doubt. Doubt means confusion. What do I do next? That's what safeq is. So the Talmud says, ain simcha kahatarat sveikot. There's no joy like the untying of doubt. In other words, when a person finally knows what they need to be doing, that's joy. When you're stuck, you're not sure what to do, and then you have clarity what you need to be doing, that's amazing. There's joy. But what happens before that? What happens when you don't know? Think about Avram and Sarah, Abram and Sarah. They pick up, they pack their bags, 75 years old, he's 75, she's a little younger. They're going down, They go not down, they go, to, they go to Israel, and now there's a famine. What do we do? What do we do? Can you imagine the doubt? Can you imagine the questions? What do we do now? What's the message? Should we stay? Should we go back home? Should we go somewhere else? And what happens when you don't have divine directive? You were told to go... You're told to stop, but you're not told what to do next. And so in life, we have some clarity. We have some you know, basic direction of where to go and how to live. But then there's a lot of other areas of life in which we don't have clarity. You know, we don't have divine directive. We don't have you know, big you know, luminescent neon divine signs pointing us in every direction. I mean, the last time I saw a sign pointing me in a direction, it was a few days ago when I was driving down the street and some guy was flipping a sign, but that was for, uh, we buy and sell gold. So that's not, that's not gonna help me right now, right? How do you know? That was a joke. Huh? How do you know? <laughs> <It's sonic. laughs> the truth is, the truth is it wasn't buy and sell gold. It was, it was, for, it was for Verizon. <laughs> it's a sign. <laughs> Get rid of T-Mobile. Okay, here's the point. Yeah. Okay. You see, you were funny this week. I try. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm losing my voice, we still uh, crack, some, crack some jokes. Back to the point. The point is what happens when we're not sure what to do? What happens when we don't know where we're going? What happens when we don't have clarity? That's suffake, that's doubt. There's no greater pain. If you know where you need to go, but it's difficult, okay, but at least you know where to go. So there's, there's, there's you know a series of obstacles. You have like sharks, you have those, you know, spiky walls that are coming in. You have what else? Um, Ballistic missiles. Ballistic. <laughs> nah, nah, that sounds too dangerous. We have um, in sharks the Huh? The pit, in the, you have to jump the pit in the ground. You have. I'm thinking of like what are the what are those shows like? Indiana Wipeout or whatever it is. Oh, Indiana Jones, right? Rain you have snakes. Rain on a Shabbos morning. Rain on a Shabbos morning, okay. But you know where you're going. Cool. You, that's true. That is true. But you know where you're going. It's a code. So no, right? So, you know where you're going, but there are obstacles. So you have a choice: either you push, or you, or you get stuck by the obstacles. But you don't have a suffix. You don't have lack of clarity. You have clarity. It's just, it's just hard. That's one level of challenge. But a deeper level of challenge is when you don't even know where to go. You're not exactly sure. Like, where should I go next? Should I go right, left? Should I stay put? Should I go back? Where do I go? <laughs> I guess. But then you feel stuck. Ain simcha kaatarat There's no joy, like when you resolve doubt, when you have clarity. What I'm trying to say here is that there's two forms of darkness. There's darkness that you can see, that you know is dark, but then there's a deeper form of darkness that we would call a double darkness. And the double darkness is, it's so dark, you don't even know what to do. That's a harder darkness. The truth is, maybe even worse type of darkness is the darkness that you don't even know is a darkness and you think is light. They tell a story Parable is told about a family that gets thrown into debtor's prison. You know, back in the day, if you couldn't pay a loan, they would throw the family—God forbid—they would throw them into uh, to a dungeon. So imagine you had a family that that was thrown into this uh, into this dungeon, into this underground pit, and you know, whatever they were fed or their food arrived, okay. And then years passed, years passed. So the original generation, the original pit you know, dungeon dwellers, dwellers, dungeon dwellers. Um, So they knew what light was. But then eventually, as the years go by, the next generation is born, et cetera. So they they don't know. There's a rumor that there's something called light. There's something called the sun. They've never seen it with their own eyes. But the rumor is that there's something called light, something called the sun. But eventually, eventually, you know, some generations later, again, it's just a parable. Generations later, the, um, the individuals are not even looking for the light anymore. It's not even like, oh, the sun, that would be nice. It's like, this is light. Can't even fathom that there's something better than this. That's when it's a choshech kaful That's when it's a double and, and, and quadrupled darkness. A darkness that you think is actually light. And so I think, you know, the way we can apply this is, you know, we have different levels of darkness. There are the challenges that we face. So we know where we need to go, but there's a challenge. There's an obstacle. It's difficult to do that, but we know what we need to do. That's one level of darkness. Another level of darkness is where we're not even sure what to do. Another level of darkness is where we take that doubt as normal. Like, it's normal not to know what to do. And clarity, we're never going to get clarity. We become complacent in the darkness. That's even darker. Because now we're not even looking for the answer for where to get out, for how to get out. We've accepted that double darkness. That's the third level of darkness. The Talmud asked the question, Esther Minolan, where do you find Esther in the Torah? It's a weird question. You know who Esther is, right? It's the hero of Purim, the Purim story. Purim story happened... Over a thousand years after the Torah was, was given on Mount Sinai, a thousand years after Moses. But the Talmud asks, where do you find some sort of hint to Esther? Everything's got to be in Torah. Where do you find Esther? The Talmud answers, it's from a verse in Deuteronomy. God says, And I will hide, hide my face on that. Hastir Aster means concealment. I will hide hide my face on that day. And the commentators say, why the double expression, hastir, hastir? Hastir, hastir. I will hide, hide. Anochi hastir, or astir. I will hide my face. Why twice? And the explanation is what I share with you. There's two types of hiding. There's where God hides, but you're looking for God, and then where God is so hidden, you forgot to look. Sorry, or you don't even know to look. You don't even know there's something out there to look for. That's when it's really dark. It's so dark, I don't even know that there's more to life than the grind. That's it, right? Isn't that it? Wake up, go to work, come back, rinse and repeat. That's the double darkness. It's not that there's light, I'm looking for the light, I'm getting stuck. It's I don't even know there's light. That's the double darkness. The double darkness is where it's dark and you don't even know it's dark. You call that light. That's where, that's where it's, that's harder to get out. Talmud says that's where Esther is hinted to in Torah. Story of Purim, of course, is a story of people were stuck at that time. The people were stuck, not just because of the decree against them for annihilation. That got them unstuck. (laughs) That usually works, by the way. I mean, look what's going on now, right? Jews under threat, that usually wakes up the soul. It's when things are kind of okay, that's when we go to sleep. That's when we fall asleep. So you have a king. This, is not a, this was not intended to be a Purim class, but here we are, right? You had a king, Achashverosh, who invites everybody to a party. That's how the Megillah, that's how the book of Esther begins. He invites everyone to a party. The party goes on for 180 days. That's a party. You think at your, your university there was a party. That's a, <laughs> did it go 180 days? I don't think so. That's a kegger. That's a kegger. <laughs> that's a, that's a party. 180 days? Half a year? Absolutely. A six month party. It was a day and a day and a day, it was three days. It was, it, it was, uh, it was 180 you? days. Who slept? What was he, 180 what was he days? Come? It was one day, one day, one day. What? The par- Wait, I'm getting, missing the story here. The story was Esther had a party and then a second No, 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 no. Not Esther's party. Achashverj's party. party. The original party. Oh, wow. When he killed his wife. Remember that? Vashti. Uh, the party at the beginning of the book. You're right. Esther had a few day party. She also threw parties. But not but six she, months. No, that was a normal party. You have a party, you go home. Like what? What kind of business is 180 days? Anyway, but back to the the (laughs) story. That's probably also, he's like, we don't have, we just ran out of cash. Anyway, so so here's what's going on. He throws a party and the Jews show up to the party. And according to the commentaries, why did they show up to the party? They had kosher food at the party, right? They had like, you get a little airplane meal, it's like wrapped in foil. You open it up, Mm -hmm. bagel. Unbelievable. We're back to bagels again. But no wine. Depends <laughs> on which commentary you ask. According to some commentators, they even had kosher wine. Yeah, Mavushal. <laughs> <laughs> Mavushal. <laughs> Mavushal wine. Anyway, somebody once asked, when we once told me, he's like, You know what the definition of Mavushal is? Ruined. <laughs> <laughs> but for those that are not sure what I'm talking about, Mavushal is. Um, Lots of kosher wine. On the, if you look on the label, it will say Muvushal. Muvushal means cooked or boiled. It means that they took the wine and raised the temperature on it above 212 or whatever, at 212 degrees. Now they do like pasteurization on it, whatever. Basically, <laughs> boil the wine and then and ruin it. <laughs> then go can and touch it. Exactly, <laughs> then, then it's all, then it's fair game. Back to the story. So what's happening here is like this. You have this. You have this party, and the Jews are invited, and the Jews show up. And why do they show up? They show up for a simple reason: because wouldn't it be great to be friends with the government? Wouldn't it be great to be buddies with the king? I mean, wouldn't that be ideal for Jewish, like for Jewish safety, security, and survival? Wouldn't it be good to be on very good terms with the king? Now, even though this king is bringing out. Um, you know, serving utensils and platters and vessels that used to be in your holy temple, which he did, even though he's using that for his own, you know, uh, uh, secular party, as it were, and desecrating the holiness, the sanctity of, 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 of the temple's vessels, although that's happening. But, hey, the king invited you. Wouldn't it be appropriate to go and hang out with the king and to feel good about that? And this is where the Jew falls asleep where the Jew says, my safety and security lies not in the hands of God, but lies in the hand of this guy. This guy, meaning Akashverj, who doesn't like Jews, but likes throwing a party and wants everyone there. So when I put my trust in this guy, that's when my eye is off the ball. That's when I take my eye off the ball. That's when you have darkness. That's when you have a darkness of like, what do you mean it's dark? What do you mean I'm doing the wrong thing? I'm doing the right thing. That's when you think darkness is light. That's when, like, no, I'm doing the right thing because, look, I'm, I'm, I went to the feast. We did it again in Egypt. We walked into. Uh, we're all part of this civic project. Absolutely. And the next thing you know, we're slaves. Next thing you know, it was a pyramid scheme. <laughs> 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 exactly. What's the difference between Abraham going to Egypt and them going to the party? Either one was serving the Jewish people. Look, it seems like Abraham going to Egypt for food wasn't the same as capitulating, as putting his trust in in Achashverosh. The Jews put their trust. They said, "Not in God, we trust in Achashverosh. We trust. We're going to put our, you know, we're going to put our faith in this guy. This king is." The Talmud says a story. Sort of like we do so, in Washington. Yeah. One second. All right. Even right. So here, here's the deal. The all the, same the Talmud. <laughs> The Talmud tells a story, a really wild story. A rabbi says, one time, I was boating. We were Me and my buddies, we were in a boat. We were in a little little uh, you know, rowboat, whatever it was. And we rode out, and we uh, um, found an island, and we jumped on the island. And we, you know, we, we, we were hanging out, and we started cooking on the island. And we lit a fire, we were cre- you know cooking food, whatever it was. And suddenly, the island started moving. And we realized it wasn't an island. It was a large fish. And it flipped over and threw us into the water. Had the boat not been nearby, we would have drowned and we would have died. That's the story. And you're thinking, you read this in the Talmud, and you're like, okay. So number one, what are you taking? Like, what are you on? Because this is a crazy story. Number two, I want to go boating with that guy because that seems like a... You know, people come back with fish stories of like, you know, I caught this fish. This guy, I mean, this—what kind of story is this? The Marsha, one of the um, classic Talmudic commentaries that explains the stories of the Talmud, especially the strange stories, the apparently strange stories, says like this: This is a metaphor. It's a metaphor of Jewish history. We have our boat. That's our tradition. We have our boat, our Torah. But then we find what looks like an island, and it looks safe and secure. And we become integrated in the island. We start cooking and barbecuing and adopting local culture. But at some point, the island starts moving and flips us into the water. Thank God that we still have the boat nearby that we can hop back on. This is the parable for Jewish history. We become complacent. We think that our survival is going to be because this country is so nice to us whatever country that's been, right? I mean, historically, let's just be honest here. Every country that Jews have been to, that Jews have been welcomed into or Jews have settled in, has at some point thrown us out or been hostile to us. That's the truth of Jewish history, right? So the message is that not to forget who we are and not to think that our survival, that our protection lies in the hands of some other entity or some other power. This is the story of Avram and Sarah, individuals who never forgot who their rock was. And that type of certainty can see a person through even in moments of darkness. So we all wish for moments of light. We all wish for moments of clarity. But the real question is what happens when we have those dark moments? What happens when we have those moments of lack of clarity? That's when the courage, that's when the strength of Avram and Sarah, of Abram and Sarah, that's when that becomes necessary to see through those challenges, to see through the, 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 the darkness, to make it through to the other side. It's not easy. And it's not simple. And when I say that, it's, it's way more than not easy. It's profoundly difficult. And, and, and it can feel almost impossible. Or it can feel impossible. And yet... The Jew was always asked to do the impossible. I mean, that's kind of been our story, to do the impossible, to be the miracle, to live the paradox. That's always been our, that's always been our, our role. That's always been our task. We didn't ask for it, right? right. We're, the, we're, we're chosen for this task, right? That's why when someone wants to join the fold, the first question we ask is, are you sure? <laughs> no, are, you great? are you, and also are you great? Are right? you Are you sure? Because it hasn't been easy. It's not easy. This is not an easy. Look what's going on in the world. Look how quickly sympathy ends for a Jew. Look how cheap Jewish blood is to the world. How many decades after six million, you would think we would still have a little bit of empathy? <laughs> nope. Yet yeah, we had three days of empathy. And once again, it's what the point is that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of darkness. There's also a lot of light. One thing that I love about the prayers, we say Shema twice a day in the, in the prayer um, liturgy. By Shachris, the morning prayer, and by mairiv or Arvis, the evening, the nighttime prayer. Mincha, the afternoon prayer, Shema's not there. We say Ashrei, we say the Amida, but there's no Shema. Shema's in the morning and at night. What, what is the paragraph after Shema? What does it say? It depends. Shachris, it has one Nusach. Meiravet has another Nusach. What does it say, Shachris? What What's the word after Ms or Emet? In the morning we say, the V'Nachon, V'Kayim, V'Yashar, the I affirm, I believe, I trust, I love. I'm on board. And at night, after amet, we say, Ve'emunah. I have faith. When things are bright, we're excited, we have certainty. When things are a little dark, we have to call upon emuna, faith. We have to call upon faith. And that's not easy. It's not easy to have faith, especially when it feels like our trust doesn't equal the outcome that we want. I trusted, and it fell through. What happened? That's when it gets very difficult. This brings us back to our conversation that we started last week, and and what we're gonna continue in the text. Two personas. We spoke today about Avram and Sarah, they're related to the Torah, They're, they're they're heroes of the Torah portion, but the focus in our text is on the third of our patriarchs, our patriarch, Yaakov, Jacob. He just left and the keys that they kept saying who's with these, it looked like he was carrying oh, that's, a big bunch of keys. There you go. Well You can't say you can't say that they didn't try. <laughs> I was actually wondering when he came back if maybe he was looking for his keys and like I was I was actually thinking that in my head. Okay, anyway, but back to the story. So, so Yaakov. Yaakov, we said last week, Yaakov becomes Yisrael. Jacob becomes Israel, he he gains a second name. When? After he wrestles and triumphs over the angel. And so Yaakov, or the name Jacob, represents the Jew who's struggling. And Israel represents the Jew who has overcome the struggle. And we said last week, just kind of resetting the room here for a second, we said last week that after his name change, the Torah itself still calls him the original name. And it switches back and forth. It says Yaakov, Yisrael, Jacob, Israel. That it uses them, not exactly interchangeably, but it uses both names. And it seems weird. If his name is changed, it should be a permanent change. It's not a permanent change. And the, mess, and the reason for this based, uh, um, in, the, in the teaching of Jewish mystical thought is because these represent the duality or, or the, two, the two names that each one of us possess. possess. Each of us has moments in our life in which we are the Jacob struggler, and each of us has moments in our lives in which we are the Israel. Um, what's the right word? Victor. Victor, the right word. In which we, we, in which we have achieved victory, like Yisrael. We struggle, and we have breakthroughs, so and that is Really, victory or confidence? Confidence, also confidence, born of victory. But I would say in our lives we've all experienced challenge that we have broken through and have conquered. But lest we think that we're done, the next moment we're faced with another challenge, which means that even when, we, when we've become a Yisrael in one space, we're still a Jacob in another place, or we've discovered a new Jacob in our, in our persona. This is by design. Life is designed to provide for us, like Abraham and Sarah, a series of tests. Now, if we were designing life, we would design it to be way easier we would design it probably to include full time beach front you know views you know all sunny sky sunny you know all sun you know in the sky and 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 only i don't know Oh, nothing wrong with that no no i'm saying if we were to design it no this is nothing wrong at all right you know you know, the, whatever food you want available you know friends and family and good times and Those drinks with the little umbrellas, you know, whatever that's called. And and all would be good if we were designing life. But God doesn't design life like that. God says, I want people to have to push through. Why? I don't know. I mean, I can speculate. We become stronger through that. We generate more energy through that. You know, people don't really exert that much energy lying down on the beach. It just doesn't, you know, there's not much resistance to push through. It's kind of good. It's it it doesn't summon depth of soul, of spirit. Right? It just does yeah. I heard a sage say for sages, You're gonna have a great in heaven. You want a great here too? There you go. Good along those lines. God created that space the beachfront property (laughs) it's called heaven the angels are there the souls before and after this this time that's where they hang out that's that exists this is this is is different this is different this is this is meant you know it's kind of like you put someone in an obstacle course so you give someone a riddle or you you know you it's it's about it's about that it's about you know generating that energy it's about summoning a deeper power that the person has that otherwise wouldn't come out how would the soul ever exercise its true power if it was just basking in divine rays all day forever for eternity again that also sounds very good don't get me wrong but that's <laughs> not what life is life is really about those jacob struggle moments coupled with Breakthroughs. We need some break. We need some moments of. We need the successes to keep us going through the difficult times. We need those Israel moments, those Israel success moments, to keep us motivated to stick it through the other moments. So, with this in mind, let's look inside. Um, it's a really beautiful uh, text that we're going to uh, to read today. Some par- Some paragraphs of text. Please take a copy. Pass. By the way, today I actually have. The um, the text scan, remember last week I did not have it scanned for those that were on the Zoom last week. Um, I am better prepared so everyone can follow along. How's that for progress? Okay, <laughs> here, right? Yeah. We're making progress. Progress, progress not perfection. Passed I passed my test, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, here we go, can you guys see that? Thumbs up, if you can see that, the text, yeah? Okay, perfect. All right, Yaakov and Yisrael. Yeah, you see that? Page 22, right here. First page where it says Yaakov and Yisrael, Jacob and Israel. Okay, to understand this, what are we understanding? Ah, Well, last week we got into a story about cattle and about two tribes that wanted land that was good for the beef. Um, Speaking of beef, reminds me of the kosher barbecue fest today uh, in Dunwoody, starting soon. Anyway, back back to our script. Yaakov and Yisrael, to understand this, we must first present the concept of Yaakov and Yisrael as explained in a previous discourse. I think I mentioned this last week. So the, the, the text that we're studying here is part of a long series of mystical texts that kind of lead one to the other. So you can study it, sorry, yeah, you can study them um, kind of, you know, as a, a, um, all the way through. You can binge them all the way through. Or you can also focus in on one episode. Each episode text, discourse, mimer, is self-contained and also related. It's kind of like that. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And, uh, you know, when you listen to podcasts, usually you get a disclaimer if it's part of a series like, this is episode five. However, this will make way more sense if you start with episode one and read it all the way through. In this case, I got you. We're good starting with this episode. All right. So he's now calling back to what we explained before about Yaakov and Yisrael. Yaakov represents the dimension of Yaakov, my servant. Okay, here we go. Meaning that the divine worship associated with the name Yaakov is done within the constricted light of the name Elohim. And it I'm going to explain all this in a second. And it's specifically through this worship that the divine servant comes to the revelation of the name Havaya. Let me explain what this is. Basically, what he's describing, the Yaakov persona is the individual that works within the constricted light. What is the constricted light? works within a space of darkness. A space of lack of clarity. This is what I've been speaking of. This, you know, the, this, you know, the, up until now, the idea of operating in a space where you, when, where you have lack of clarity, lack of certainty, where you don't see uh, God in a clear fashion, you don't see purpose, you don't see the breakthroughs. You are operating within the constricted light. Now, where does the constricted light come from? I.e., spaces of darkness. It comes from the name, the divine name, Elohim. Now we know in scripture there are two names of god that are used primarily one is hashem and one is elohim in in the language of kabbalah it's havaya and elohim havaya represents the light that is boundless and infinite and 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 breaks through all all barriers elohim represents concealment in fact the word elohim numerologically in gematria is equivalent to the number 86 if you count up the letters. The number of, of the there's a number associated with every Hebrew letter, Elohim equals 86. 86 is also the same gematria, the same numerology as the Hebrew word hateva. What does Hateva mean? The nature, right? Nature, right? Hateva means the nature, i.e., nature itself. Elohim is what creates nature. In fact, when you read the Torah at the beginning, it says, Bereshit, <laughs> bara, Elohim, in the beginning, who created Elohim. Why not Hashem? Why Elohim? Why why the third word of the Torah, the first name of God that we're introduced to is the name of Elohim. Why Elohim? Kabbalah says, you know why? Because Elohim is concealment. Elohim is when God is actually hidden. Elohim is the force of God that doesn't look like God. Looks like nature. You say, oh, I don't believe in God. So then what makes all this go? No, oh, it's just it's nature. Who do you think nature is, bro? Who? Oh, you're just using a different word for God. Dr. Rabbi says in Tanya, anytime someone says the word nature, it means they don't, they can't explain it. Say the nature of this chemical mixed with that chemical is it produces that reaction. That's its nature. Why? It's its nature. Why? That's how it works. Oh, it means, you, meaning you don't, you, you can't explain. It. Okay, good. And when you say that's its nature, It means you've hit the end of reason. What you're saying is that's the way it works. Well, who made it work like that? Hashem, God. So here's here's what happens. The name Elohim connotes concealment. Havaya, the name Hashem, connotes revelation. Creation is the product of divine revelation, but at the same time, divine construction. To create a world in which people have ego and self-awareness, a world in which you walk outside and don't see God immediately, you see stuff, that world is a world born of Elohim, concealment of God, where you don't see the author, the author is not standing, the chef is not standing and saying, do you like my food? You just see the food and you're not sure where it came from. You just see a world, a beautiful world, and you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure how this got here. The author is not obvious. That world in which the author is not immediately obvious is the world produced by Elohim, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created heaven and earth. Why Elohim? Because this world is a world of concealment. Again, when we think about concealment, it means that there is a, there is a projection of energy. Otherwise, it wouldn't, this wouldn't be here. So there has to be creation. But the creation is done in a way of concealment, where you don't see the truth. And the point of our text is to say that Yaakov is the person who grapples in Elohim. The struggler who operates in the space of Elohim, i.e. the person who, looking at the world, sees the darkness, doesn't have the breakthrough. And the goal of Yaakov is to push and push and push until you see the breakthrough, until you have an experience of light. And that's how you reach um, havaya. That's, um, this is just what he's saying over here. He says it is specifically through this worship that the divine servant comes to the revelation of the name Havaya. In other words, how do you get to that Havaya, which is the breakthrough of the light? It's through pushing through Elohim, pushing through the concealment. Let's keep on going inside, page 24, top line. His primary worship is in the work of refinement, to refine and fix the animal soul and all that is associated with it, etc. In other words, this individual wakes up in the morning and feels their lower self. In the language of Kabbalah, feels their animal soul, their base instinct. In other words, this person is someone who's not filled completely with light. This person is filled with also negative temptation or lower temptation. This person is is, is torn in the morning. Should I pray or should I do something for God or should I do something for myself? Should I do something for someone else or do something for myself? Should I do something for the world or something for myself? This person is someone who is split, who's torn between these two spaces. That's, why, that's where the work happens. The work happens to refine and fix, tame, train, transform, harness the animal inside. The tzaddik, the Israel persona, doesn't have to deal with the animal. That's a person who wants to do the right thing who loves prayer, who loves doing something for someone else. Oh, you need me to pack, you're you're moving, you need to schlep boxes, I'm right there. I want to do that. Right? The Yaakov is someone who struggles with that. He says, well, wait a second. I don't know that I want to help you. I want to help me. And by the way, helping self is not evil. But it's self. And animals, not you call it the animal soul. Animals are not evil but animals are about survival, about self. The animal soul is the part of us that says, you got to worry about yourself. You got to take care of self. Other, let them gain? Let, Let them deal with themselves. So if you're successful as a self, you have a good job, you're making money, you can give to the other. Right. But if you're always just giving, you're giving out. Good. We don't have to worry about that. Because we have a healthy animal soul that's going to make sure we take care of ourselves. The tzaddik, let the tzaddik worry about that. Someone who has no animal soul, how are they going to survive? How are they going to live? How are they going to protect themselves? That's, that, they have to worry about that. You and I, I, I can't speak for you. I don't have to worry about that. I need to bend, I need to, to learn about this stuff. right? Let's learn about how to transcend or transform the animal. Because the animal is doing very well. Thank you very much. I always use this in this example. The baby that wakes up 3 a.m. crying for food, that's the animal soul. It's not evil, it's not bad, it's normal. But what's the, ch- what's the baby doing? Waking up its mother and maybe its father also. Don't you know mom is tired? Mom's exhausted. Give mom a little bit of extra sleep. You can't wait another hour, right? I need to eat. This is not bad. It's normal. It's normal to care about self. The first thing we learn in life is, or the first first feeling we have is, taking care of self. It's the godly soul that is almost an acquired taste. That I can transcend my focus on self for a moment to care about something else beyond myself. Something greater than self. That's something that that's learned. That's why it says in in the book of Tanya, uh, the the the, almost like the Bible of Chabad Hasidic philosophy. It says that the godly soul calls it the second soul, because the first soul that we're aware of is that animal soul. Like I need, I want. Like gotta take care of me first. The second soul is the one that's so is the one that's uh, that, that allows us to go beyond ourselves. So what we're saying over here is that who is Yaakov? The Yaakov persona. The Yaakov is the one who struggles with this. Who knows the value of going beyond self, but is very much stuck within self. Let's continue, and then we're going to close it out. Consequently, two more minutes. Consequently, this worship demands toil and labor. It's very hard work. Very hard work. To work with your animal soul, to try to get past your obsession with self, that's hard. Both in attempting to grasp the divine light since it is a constricted light that is hidden and concealed, and also because of the impediments and obstructions that stem from the animal soul, which hides and conceals the light of his divine soul. So it's hard to see the light in a world of darkness. It's hard to find God, number one, and it's harder to find God when I have my animal soul kicking and screaming. Feed me, take care of me, don't forget about me. It's very hard to find something more meaningful and more valuable, more eternal than just temporal life. I'm reminded of a meditation that I once heard for Yom Kippur. You know, the argument is that Yom Kippur is a day of prayer. We would be able to pray better if we could eat. That's the argument. Why are we not eating? We're making it harder for ourselves. We should be able to eat and pray all day. You fast, right? Yom Kippur, you fast. And the body starts kicking and screaming. I want food. Here's the meditation Body. Are you so frail that for a few hours you start losing, like you start getting all upset, all, all, uh, all uptight? And this is what I'm running after, like my whole life, to, to placate this very, um, what's the right word? This very um, temperamental, very um, precarious, very temporal part of me? That's what I'm running after? Right, it's, it's like almost embarrassing. So one day a year we put we put everything in context and say, My body, I need food. Sure. I'll break my fast. Probably on a bagel. It's like the if mm-hmm. today's the focus on bagel. That's our that's our um, our callback. Mm-hmm. All right, back inside. Um, which has, okay. We are referring especially to the toil and hard work in fixing and refining the animal soul and all that is associated with it, all of which comes with a great deal of intense labor. Yaakov is the one who doesn't see the light who's struggling to find light in life, struggling to find purpose, meaning God. Someone who doesn't see God, but is looking for God. Someone who struggles with their own lower self, their own base instincts, their own natural tendencies that keeps them tethered to the earth as opposed to finding and and experiencing heaven. That's Yaakov. What about Yisrael? The dimension of Yisrael, Israel by contrast, is where a person's worship occurs in the essence of the name Havaya, which is not obscured by the name Elohim at all. This is a person who basically is operating in in the dimension of light. Consequently, it does not entail any hard work or labor at all. Similarly, it does not require the toil and labor to fix and refine the animal soul, since the animal soul of this guy does not hide or conceal divinity from the person. Page 26. His primary worship is not in the work of refinement, but rather in drawing forth divine revelation, etc. Now, the above implies that the... Oh, so one second. So you have the person who struggles, Yaakov, and the person who has no struggle. Person who is existing in a space of divine bliss, of spiritual clarity. Person who knows who they are, knows their purpose, and sees clearly where they need to be, and not only has clarity of destination, but does not have obstacles in their way on the path toward that. When we said before layers of darkness, three levels of darkness, this person has no darkness. Clarity of where they need to be, clarity on where they are, and the path is clear as well. Everything is clear, smooth sailing. It's like when you get on that plane and the captain gets on and says, you know, we gotta, you know, clear skies. Flight time is like 30 minutes less than what they told you, so that they could always be on time and have their, you know, their on time numbers high, whatever, right, so there, it's, everything's clear, smooth sailing. That's Yisrael, Yisrael is smooth. Yaakov, I don't even know where I'm going. And if I knew where I was going, I don't even know how to get there. I'm getting in the way of myself. That's Yaakov. Yaakov is the wrestler. Yaakov is the grappler. Yaakov, Akev. I said last week. Akiv, heel, (coughs) Akev. Yaakov is the one who's grabbing the heel of his twin brother. He's fighting with himself. It's like fight club. Yaakov is fighting with self. Yisrael, there's no internal struggle. There's no external struggle. Tzaddik, pure, pure, knows, knows, what, knows what he or she wants and is, is going to get it spiritually. Now, the above implies this is the kicker, and this is where we conclude today. Now, the above implies that the level of Yisrael is much loftier than that of Yaakov. If you were given a choice, which, which door do you want? Which path? Which life do you want? You, the Yaakov struggler, the dark light, the dark life? Or the light life. Choose. No-brainer. No-brainer. Yisrael all day, every day. Give me clarity. Give me light. Take away my struggles. Perfect. But the truth is that there is a great advantage to the level of Yaakov, my servant, over the level of Yisrael. And that's what we talk about next week. All right, so what do we do today? Today we spoke about light and darkness, the duality. The first duality of existence in the Torah. You open up Genesis chapter 1. The first duality that you notice is light and darkness. We spoke a lot about darkness today. We spoke a lot about the courage of Avram, of Abram, and Sarah. We spoke a lot about what that entails, what it looks like to operate in a space of darkness and to push through darkness. We also spoke about what it means to discover light and what it means to adopt a persona of darkness. Yisrael, Yisrael, and we, sorry, you can't just adopt the persona, but what it means to have that persona of Yisrael, the persona of Yisrael means that you see, you have clarity where you need to be and clarity on how to get there, and you're not stuck within yourself. Yaakov is full of struggle. If we had a choice between a life of struggle and a life of clarity, I think all of us would choose clarity. And he's saying, yet there is an advantage, as we've also discussed, an advantage to the life of struggle over the life of clarity. And that is going to be what he expresses throughout this discourse and especially next week. So join me for that next week. Also very important announcement. I call this a VIA. We do VIAs, very important announcement. This week we are starting a brand new Kabbalah course. I know this is Kabbalah Cafe, this is also Kabbalah, but we are starting a six-week course called The World of Kabbalah. This is my textbook, but if you come, you will get your own textbook. And along with the textbook, you will also get some gorgeous materials, including a Kabbalah map. Um, if you've ever studied Kabbalah, no, no, let me explain what's going on here. If you've ever studied Kabbalah and have heard concepts, but the concepts kind of remain a little bit like like out there and you don't have clarity and like what, what is going on? How do we map this out? Where is everything located and what does it all mean? Clarity and precision. This course provides that. These are Kabbalistic concepts that you will learn throughout this course. There is... A total, uh, I don't know, they didn't number them, uh, like one through whatever. This is probably about 30 different concepts that by the end of the course you will have mastered. This is an incredible course. It's starting this week. I teach it twice on Wednesdays, Wednesday at noon and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Lunch at noon is included. There's a dinner option for the Wednesday night. If you wanna join the Wednesday night and have dinner, I will have dinner for you here, just let me know. just so you know that the, the lessons are called, lesson one is the evolution of ego. Lesson two, the dawn of limitation. Lesson three, the infinite light. Lesson four, the world of chaos. Lesson five, the great concealment. And lesson six, the essence of everything. This is going to be a course for the ages. We, we talk a lot, of, a lot of Kabbalah here Sunday mornings, but this is organized step-by-step, step, six steps to understand how the entire cosmic uh, realms are mapped out, and also, in every lesson, how it applies in our own lives and how we, how, how we personalize it in our own experience. So join me Wednesday. If you need more information, let me know. It's on our website, the slash JLI. All right. And you can always try out the first class for free if you're not sure. Okay. Good to see you guys. Thank you. Hey, online crew. Is it, is yes. On Zoom? Yes. Live in person and on Zoom, both afternoon and evening classes. Yeah. Okay. This is, and if you have to miss a class because you're out of town, whatever, everything is recorded and will be made available for participants. Um, Uber Eats on Zoom. That's hilarious, David. Yes. <laughs> David, in Florida, we will send some, uh, some uh, Fuego Mundo. It's going to take a few days. but <laughs> um, It will still be hot. Yes. <laughs> good. Great to see you. Susan and Lisa and Fran and Larry. Larry, good to see you. And Matt and Tony and David. Good to see you guys. Literally from around the country. Literally. We have East Coast, West Coast. Every, everybody in between. We got Vegas. We got California. We got Atlanta. We got Florida. We got Pennsylvania. Amazing. We got Kansas. Kansas in the house. Literally. This is it. This is, this is basically, we've gone global. You got it all. Yeah, we've got it all. We're missing chili today. Oh. Chili's not here. Oh. <laughs> we usually have chili. All right. I have to reach out to them. We'll see where our Chilean folks are. All right guys, chavuta, have a wonderful week. See you guys soon. All right, take care. one other thing.